thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is That Paleo Show with your hosts, Stephanie Wozalik, Dr. Yana James, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Stephanie Wozalik. I'm Dr. Yana James. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. We haven't spoken about fitness on the show lately, so today we brought on one of our fitness inspirations, Mark Lauren. All three of us were introduced to Mark's methods by his book, You Are Your Own Gym, and we've been advocating it ever since. Actually, it's probably one of the first resources we mentioned way back when we did our 12-part introduction to paleo. The reason that Mark's so cool is because he comes at fitness from a completely practical standpoint, which is how can military personnel or even ancient Greek Olympians stay fit when they can't go to a gym every day? Mark is a certified military physical training specialist, special operations combat controller, triathlete, and competitive Thai boxer, so he definitely knows what he's talking about. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks for having me, guys. I absolutely loved the introduction of your book um, about your personal journey and your stories, but why don't you give our listeners a little bit of a taste of those experiences and what brought you to this point? Sure. Um, basically, I uh, decided as a, a young man that I wanted to be um, in the special operations community, and um, I joined the Air Force to be a combat controller. And uh, each component or each uh, service has their own uh, component of the special operations community. And for the Air Force, they have uh, combat control and pararescue. Pararescue men pick up downed pilots and, uh, and act as medics. And then you have the combat controllers, which uh, we, we attach to SEAL teams and uh, Green Beret teams or SAS teams. And we control all the air assets that are supporting an operation, which requires a lot of communicating. You have to do basically uh, mobile air traffic control, call in airstrikes. And, uh, and then we also do airfield seizures. So we'll jump into an airport like Baghdad International, for example, with the Rangers and seize the airfield. Um, and uh, the first part of my journey um, after basic training was to make it through a selection process. So if you want to be a Navy SEAL or an SAS guy, um, you have to sort of prove your mettle. And uh, the first 10 weeks is um, <clears throat> it's really just a, a process of gatekeeping and, uh, and getting rid of all the guys that don't really want to be, be there. And, uh, and they use... Long, long, uh, well, I guess each service actually uses, uh, different training methods or different selection methods. Um, for the Air Force, uh, we basically just worked out all day long. We would get up at four in the morning, uh, we had to run everywhere, we would do bodyweight exercises all day long, and then, uh, and then after lunch, they took us to the pool. And that's where, uh, things really got, um, hairy for, for us. Um, and you had a, a number of, um, underwater events, events that you had to complete each day and you had to hold your breath. So for example, uh, one of the events was not tying. There was a, a rope at the bottom of a 12 foot pool and, uh, and you would tread water over that, over that rope and you had a couple of ropes stuck in your speedos and you'd have to dive down and tie a knot and you'd come back up and tread water and they would check your knots and make sure everything was okay. And, uh, and it would be a series of something like 12 dives until you were done with that event. Um, but some of the events were really difficult. And of course it depended on, uh, where you were strong and where you, you were weak, but, um, 
that's really where they uh, got rid of the majority of the people. We had an attrition rate of about 85%. So uh, classes would typically, yeah, classes would typically start around 100 guys and um, about 5 to 20 guys typically graduated. Um, and most of the people, they quit in the pool. For every single event, every single day for those first 10 weeks, you basically had uh, a few options. Either you... Um, you, you successfully completed the event or, um, you quit or you passed out trying, in which case they would pull you out of the pool and, uh, and it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, you, you, you typically don't start sucking in air or, uh, trying to pull in water to breathe while you're unconscious for about 45 seconds. So the instructors, the cadre, they have plenty of time to pull you out of the water and, uh, <laughs> and you'll naturally start breathing again, the ambient air. Um, so they'll pull you out, you wake up, uh, pale and blue lipped and they'll ask you if you're all right and say, who you are, Sergeant? Um, at which point they put you back in the pool to complete the event and you have those same three options again. So you couldn't really have any off days. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I made it through, uh, the, the, I actually made it to the very last day of training, uh, my first course and got set back for, uh, for sit-ups and it was one of those things like they just one one instructor sort of had it out for me and uh i guess he, he felt that maybe um the first course wasn't hard enough so uh <laughs> he, he wanted to find out how bad i really wanted it and uh and he set me back and he didn't count my sit-ups because he said my hands were too high up on my head and uh, and i did the entire course again um wow so yeah and then after that i uh i continued with my uh follow on year and a half of training before I went to a, a, a team. And, uh, while I was on that team, all we did was train and we did cold weather warfare. We, um, we did dive trips, lots of military free fall, learning how to control traffic, doing drop zones and landing zones and all that, lots of shooting. And then eventually I became an instructor and, uh, and that was about five days before September 11th. Um, and it was an interesting change because, and it's really what brought about my training philosophy for you are your own gym, because before 9-11, the demand for special operations guys was really low. There wasn't anything going on. There wasn't a conflict. So they, they didn't care if uh, the cadre were only graduating classes of three. Um, well, as soon as Afghanistan kicked off, that changed completely. And that was initially led by the special operations community. So uh, the demand for uh, those guys went through the roof, and it came down from the chain of command. Hey, guys, you have to start graduating more guys. You have to change your training mentality. You've got to switch from being gatekeepers, and uh, and you have to do something different. Of course, we didn't want to compromise the caliber of guys that we're putting out into the field that's going, that are going to be um, calling in airstrikes and, and working with SEAL teams and SF teams and our buddies that are on teams. So uh, rather than, than change the standards in any way, um, we really started looking at how we're training these guys. And we started to apply some uh, basic principles of sports physiology to our training program. And we were in a really great position to see quickly what works and what doesn't work. 
um, because we, it was the most structured environment that she could ever hope to get. I mean, we would get 16 new recruits every six weeks that stayed with us for three and a half months. They had to eat three regular meals. They slept regular hours. They had to do our exact PT program. And all we did basically was create these training programs, um, apply them to our students. We gave our students regular evaluations and we charted their progress. Um, and that's really how I came up and was able to uh, validate the, the training methods that are in my book, You Are Your Own Gem. So, so Mark, what were they doing before? Like, and before here I am now. In, before you came in and changed stuff, what were they doing in terms of training and, and I guess what wasn't working? Well, basically, um, fitness or exercise was kind of, it was used more as a, as a hammer. And they would just beat you down with it. Um, and, they, and they really had the more is better mentality. I mean, you, you still sort of get that um, in, in a lot of places that, that they think if, if you want to get into the best possible shape, you just have to train more. You have to train harder. You got to push, push, push. And, uh, and, and we found that that's just totally false. Um, training more is not better. Training just enough is enough. And uh, that's how you get optimal progress. Um and then, so it, it became really obvious that how you structure training programs is extremely important. And the reason our athletes have been getting stronger and faster and performing better over the last several decades is not because of fancy new exercises or fancy new equipment, but because coaches are getting better at how they structure their long-term programs, right? How much stress are they applying? What type of stress and how much recovery are they building into their programs? Um, and that's something that I was able to uh, refine while I was a trainer um, in the military. Um, and then there was the, the, the whole principle of specificity. It was really obvious that there were a lot of exercise or types of exercise that didn't improve performance um, because you only get good at what you do. And that's really what the principle of specificity states. Um, performance is very task specific. So, for example... Long distance running makes you better at long distance running. It's not going to make you a better swimmer. It's not going to make you better with a 60-pound pack on your back. Um, or, for example, lying and sitting down on machines while isolating certain muscles or muscle groups, right? Um, that makes you good, good at isolating muscle groups. But outside of the gyms, those activities are never duplicated. And for that reason, your performance isn't improved at all. So there are lots, there are a lot of different forms of exercise out there that only make you better at exercising. But we obviously don't care about that. We want to improve performance in real life out in the field. And uh, what we found is that you want to duplicate the activities that you're training for as closely as possible. And the one thing that you're always doing, no matter what the activity is, is manipulating your own body weight. And uh, for that reason, bodyweight exercises um, are a great way to improve performance and improve body composition because you're using a lot of muscles at the same time. So you're forced to, uh, basically you're developing all these different skills like coordination, endurance, strength, flexibility, balance, because those skills are needed for those exercises. Um, so yeah, we, we basically whittled down, we got rid of all the excess and, uh, and we end up with a program that uses very functional, minimalistic exercises and, uh, we applied good programming, 
um, structure to those exercises. Yeah, that's that's so fantastic. Um, so I'm going to ask a question that I was going to ask later on, but if you were to give the standard population three movements that they should do every single day, what would you suggest the average population does as the best form of total body manipulation, as you said, of, of your body weight so that you, you're activating everything? Or how would you go about that? So sure, if I had to recommend three exercises for everybody in the world to do um, every day. <laughs> Go for it. It would, it would basically be, uh, which I mean, because again, um, performance is very task specific. You only yeah. get good at what you do. Um, with that said, the, there is one thing that you can develop, one skill that will generally always improve your uh, your performance, and that's your ability to maintain maintain good body alignment, basically to have good posture and maintain that posture while moving through the different planes of motion, right? So if you want to be able to improve performance um, in an athlete, you have to look at how he's moving. And there are some um, basic principles of human movements that typically apply to any activity. For example, maintaining an elongated um, erect torso, um, rather than slouching over or being in overextension or being in flexion when you shouldn't be um, or having your feet pointing out in different direction, directions rather than pointing straight ahead or having your knees buckling in when you go into a squat. Those are all postural habits that you want to develop. And if you can develop those postural habits, those good postural habits, and have your athletes uh, maintain maintain those habits when they're moving up and down, or forward, back, side to side, you can improve performance. Um, so this is a really long-winded version to your to your answer, but um, it, it would be very basic uh, basic movements. Um, learning to perfect um, a basic body weight squat, for example, um, which you could do with a wall squat. So I would have people. Um, so, so let me back up one second and just say that. Rather than focusing on a, on a, on activities to burn calories and build muscles, I'm much bigger on training movements because without those fundamentals in place, you really you can't just. Are you guys there? Yeah, yeah. we're back, mate. Hello. Yeah, you were just cutting in okay. and out a little bit, and then it just cut right out. So. So we got to you said without oh, those without those fundamentals in place, you were saying. Okay, right. So w without those uh, fundamentals in place, um, without applying those basic principles of, of human movement and, and posture, you're not going to have a long career in fitness, um, especially if you're pushing yourself hard, right? You can't expect to um, be misaligned when you're doing heavy squats or a lot of heavy sprinting or moving with an 80-pound pack and expect to have a good back in 20 years from now. Um, so... I'm, I'm very big on training proper posture and, and, and movement as a, as the foundation of fitness. And one of the best ways that you can do that is uh, is to use the wall therapy squat, just with your own body weight. So stand with your feet about shoulder width apart, feet parallel, so your toes are pointing straight ahead. Toes are about four inches from a wall. And then uh, place your hands behind your head and go down into as deep of a squat as you can. And what that wall forces you to do is to get your hips back and it forces you to extend 
in order to stay off the wall, right? If your hips aren't back and maybe your back is going into flexion, meaning you're bending forward, um, your nose is going to run into the wall. So that using a wall um, to do squats in front of is a great way to help develop your posture. And you can progress that exercise then by putting your arms out at the Y position, you know, just like YMCA. Um, and then eventually you can put your arms up um, into the straight overhead and uh, and you can gradually move your feet closer and closer together and closer to the wall. And it requires an, an incredible amount of mobility that uh, most people don't have. Um, so when, a lot of times people think about flexibility and mobility and they're stretching their, uh, their hamstrings and, and all types of uh, other stretches, but they forget about some key links in the kinetic chain like um, dorsiflexion, right? Like how much your, your ankles can flex. And if you don't have enough dorsiflexion in your ankles, you're not going to be able to go down into a proper squat and it's going to to compromise the rest of the movement, right? So if you don't have proper flexion um, and you're trying to run, it's going to throw off the movement pattern um, of that entire activity. So that dysfunction is just going to travel up the entire body. Um, so you'll find a lot of times people don't have um, enough dorsiflexion or they don't have enough um, mobility throughout the shoulder girdle to, uh, to get their chest up and keep their nose off the wall while they're squatting down. And so, okay. Mark, so that do, would be extra. I just asked yeah. a question on that. Do you recommend then people to do like separate individual stretching, or do you like to get them doing those functional movements and develop their flexibility whilst they're doing that work at the same time? You know, it's uh, recommending a, a stretching program can be a little tricky because um, too much flexibility can cause problems, just just as well as um, or just as much as not having enough flexibility. So, um, where, where one person may have really tight hamstrings, another person may have hamstrings that don't need to be stretched any further. Um, you know, so you, you can get, take a swimmer, for example, um, that when you put him on land and have him uh, jog or run and, uh, his knees are running or are, are bending backwards, you probably shouldn't have that guy stretching anymore or that girl stretching anymore. <laughs> hmm. So it's uh, so for that reason, I uh, I focus mainly on being able to perform those very basic movements, like the squat or a lunge, while maintaining proper posture, or uh, being able to uh, perform uh, a good morning and having the flexibility in your hamstrings, basically just to get your hips back and bend over until your uh, your uh, your hips are at about a ninety degree angle. Um, and you know, it's creating or, or yeah, creating programs for the general public is, uh, is really tricky because people are so diverse and, mm. uh, and their needs are very different depending on your, uh, your, your body and what's going on with your body and, uh, your goals. So, yeah, well, that, um, so, that's yeah. Probably- Sorry, we must have a delay because we keep cutting you off, but I was just going to ask, I mean, most of our listeners are obviously not military personnel, though some of them are, um, you know, and I, what I love about your book and your program is that you really can do this type of fitness anywhere at all. So, I mean, it sounds like there shouldn't be any excuses if you're focusing on posture and you're focusing on, you don't need any equipment, but obviously people still come up with excuses to exercise. So what, what's kind of the mindset around all of this for you? 
or for for the average um, the average person trying to exercise? Um, well, I've found that for most people, the, the number one excuse is time, and uh, and I'm only asking for less than one percent of their total time. So really. Um, if you're looking for basic fitness, um, you're not looking to be an elite athlete. If you give me an, as much time as you spend on your um, oral hygiene or your dental hygiene, I can get you in pretty good shape. Um, one and a half to two hours per week, um, you can really do a lot with that. I mean, that, that's less time than, you, than you'd probably spend just getting to and from the gym. Okay. So, uh, but if that still isn't enough to... Uh, to get you motivated to work out or to eliminate your excuses. I think um, the next step is really just to uh, figure out some really specific goals and to write them down. That's typically what I'll have people do. You know, I ask them, like, uh, what exactly are you trying to accomplish? What are you training for? Are you looking, are you training for some specific activity or sport? Um, and make them specific, measurable, attainable, and put a timestamp on it so if you know exactly when you want to uh, accomplish that goal by. And um, and typically, I really encourage people to write performance-based goals um, rather than just exercising for the sake of getting fit or looking better. Um, just because it's, uh, I've just found that it's a lot easier to. Uh, get people motivated when uh, when their goals are performance-based. And really, you really can't improve performance without changing the way you look and probably improving the way you look. Um, and a lot of times people will exercise for the sake of making themselves look like athletes rather than just training to, to develop the um, skills of, of an athlete, which is, uh, which is kind of backwards and not nearly as effective. Yeah. Hey, so Mark, one of the ones I wanted to come back to, you mentioned before a couple of times that performance is task specific and you only get good at what you do. So how do you look at something like, for example, CrossFit, which, which is obviously working towards making people, I guess, more of a generalist, like good at a whole range of different activities? Um, and how does that differ from your, your, you know, your, your, your own gym stuff? Um, it differs quite a bit. I mean, I, I like the general concept, concept of, uh, of CrossFit, um, my biggest objection is really that there are some really complex movements in CrossFit, and it takes a lot of coaching and a lot of training a lot of times just to get people to do a proper back squat, much yeah. less a snatch or a clean and jerk. And now you're having people do those uh, really complex movements um, for time as fast as they can in a competitive mode, when even Olympic lifters that have been training these movements uh, uh, for a decade or more, um, they typically don't do more than uh, three reps at a time. So, and, and I think that can really lead to a lot of problems long term. I think it's going to be interesting in another um, ten to twenty years to see how uh, the, the CrossFit community is doing um, mm. health wise. I mean, um, I think orthopedically it's going to be a nightmare for a lot of people, and they're going to have a lot of aches and pains when they get older. Yeah, I definitely um, agree. Yeah, I, I am. Sorry, cut you off again. Go on, continue, please. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but uh, their idea of basically d 
developing general physical preparedness through a variety of activities, I think that that's great. It's just uh, when you, if you're going to use more complex movements, which I think uh, even the basic barbell lifts are pretty complex, much less uh, when you're talking about movements like um, the snatch and the clean and jerk um, or power cleans then uh, you, you really have to make tailored programs for people and, and dedicate a lot of time to coaching, which uh, most people aren't getting. Yeah. Yeah, what I was going to say is I, I completely agree. I um, have just started CrossFit, actually, but I when I first came across it, I was not particularly impressed with the videos that I watched because I found that a lot of people had poor form and the fact that it's for time and for speed and not not focusing on um, technique. So I've made a point myself when I go. It's I'm lucky I'm not competitive when it comes to movement, so I'm not trying to beat everyone else there. I'm really just focusing on my technique as much as possible and not pushing beyond what I know my technique can handle. Um, so I and that's also why I love your book because there's so many different ways of grading to according to what your body can handle and not pushing beyond that. Um, there's an excellent quote in your book. That is, it's the very last rep that sends the message to your body that there is a demand for greater strength and more muscle. All other sets and reps are for the purpose of bringing you to that final point of failure. And other than that, they only, uh, the only use they have is to warm you up, improve technique and raise your heart rate, which I, especially this morning, I cut back and read that and went, oh, that is just awesome. Love it. Um, can you elaborate on that? How would someone find out what their, where their breaking point is or just before that or whatever you want to call it how do you how do you put people in the mind frame of knowing where they can take themselves to without causing themselves injuries yeah sure um so <clears throat> basically it, it, we're talking about intensity training intensity um which is kind of defined in a couple of different ways but I, i'm just referring to it as how hard you're pushing yourself um and a good training program is really all about how you're manipulating training volume, how much you're training, and training intensity. So generally, um, when I'm starting somebody out, all the movements are, are skill-based. So I, I do a relatively large amount of work with a low level of fatigue or low intensity. So it starts out high volume, low intensity. That way they develop the, the good movement patterns and the mobility and the baseline fitness um, that we can build on. And then, so you want to avoid going to failure when you first start training. Um, mm -hmm. because it, it, unless you've already grooved some good movement patterns, the chances of, uh, your form breaking down during those last couple of reps is really high. Um, and as a beginner, the amount of stress that you need in order to make really great progress is, uh, is very little. It doesn't, uh, the amount of stress that it, it takes to, get a novice to progress is far less than what an intermediate trainee requires or what an advanced or elite trainee requires. So uh, uh, so once you've established those good movement patterns and you've laid a foundation with a lot of easy work, basically, you can start building on that and, and gradually whittle down um, the volume while increasing the intensity, right? So overall, throughout the workout, you can start decreasing the number of reps that, that the trainee is doing or that you're doing and uh, but steadily increase the intensity and and slowly start approaching those uh, that last rep or, or hitting muscle failure 
And Mark, that's one of the questions I guess people have when they look at your stuff is they might compare it to say a CrossFit where people are doing like heavy deadlifts or you know whatever it might be and say well you know how can I get that level of intensity and difficulty with just body weight and and having done some of your exercises I certainly know that it's possible but perhaps you can just elaborate on on how you get that degree of difficulty and intensity with just body weight exercises. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, so with weights or machines, well, or um, it's really easy to to change the intensity of an exercise, right? If if you're doing deadlifts, you can just add or remove some plates and change the difficulty of an exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, with bodyweight exercises, it takes a little bit more creativity, and you have to have a little bit more information. Um, you take a push-up, for example, that probably everybody's familiar with. Is it press-up? Yep. For you guys, um, so. Uh, uh, you could you can take a, a press up and have a person start by elevating their hands on a wall, right? That makes their movement um, quite easy. As they get stronger, you can have them lower their hands onto a hip height hip height surface such as a table or a countertop, and then progress them to a knee height surface and then the ground. And then they can keep their hands on the ground while elevating their feet. Um, so that's using leverage to manipulate the difficulty of a bodyweight exercise. Um, the next, another way that you can change the intensity of an exercise, a bodyweight exercise, is to incorporate pauses. So take a pull-up, for example. Um, if you pause at the top of a pull-up for two seconds, that will become <laughs> significantly harder. <laughs> um, so now you have, have intensity and you have pauses. Uh, another way is to switch between... Um, from a two-limb movement to a single-limb movement. So you can take that, that push-up again um, after we've uh, mastered the, the push-up with our hands on the ground and our feet on a chair, we can go to a one-arm push-up. But again, we don't have to go to a one-arm push-up with our hands and feet on the ground. We can start again at, with the wall and do one-arm push-ups with our hand against the wall and then progress to one-arm push-up with our hands on a countertop, then a chair, then ha- um, hands and feet on the ground, Eventually, we can do a one-arm push-up with uh, one hand on the ground, two feet on a chair, incorporating a two-second pause. <laughs> I'd just like to cool say, <laughs> if, if any of our listeners out there are going to do this, can you please send us a video? Like, yes. we're, we're seriously cringing at this, Mark. <laughs> we're like, what? A pause and a pull-up? <laughs> are you crazy? <laughs> but yeah, no, you've definitely made your point in that there's there's obviously ways to, to increase the intensity and the... And those are all fantastic suggestions. And, and I've just got a new goal. Like, seriously, one arm push up with my feet up on a chair. That's like, mm-hmm. give you like 10 years, but that's the goal. He's, he's been working on um, handstand push ups. Yeah. So, okay. fair enough. Fair enough. Um, look, we're out of time, but we do have one question from a listener that I really wanted to ask you before we let you go. And obviously, we're in Australia, so the heat yeah. here is quite hot um and you know as you can imagine the summer although the weather's beautiful uh it is difficult to exercise um to motivate yourself to exercise do you have any suggestions for people um for exercising with the heat um i guess because she wants to exercise outdoors rather than indoors yeah that was her question specifically because you know you want to get you want to get some sunshine and fresh air as well yeah yeah sure um yeah, baby steps. Just uh, just go outside and start acclimating yourself. I mean, one of the reasons we, uh, we 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 suffer so much in the heat is because we we don't ever really expose ourselves to it. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
you know, when I, I used to go to Thailand to box at the boxing camps, and Thailand is obviously very hot and very humid, and the camps are outdoors. You have shade, but you're still outside in the humidity in the middle of the summer. And, uh, and what I found is that if you can just get yourself to, to make it through those workouts, um, that heat becomes much more bearable. But, you know, just start out and take it easy. You don't have to do a full-blown workout out in the heat um, right away. Give yourself a couple of uh, a couple of weeks and slowly build the volume and intensity like I was talking about. And, you know, the interesting thing about that, Mark, is I know here in Australia we obviously have Australian rules football, and, and a lot of those football teams at the moment are talking about the benefits of heat training in much the same way they used to talk about the benefits of altitude training. And it's kind of like the new, like, in thing is to go somewhere really hot to work out to try and get a better yeah. benefit. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of interesting that, that that's actually that might be actually benefiting their exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely going to make uh, the rest of your day easier if you so if you can um, if you can go outside and do fifty burpees out in the heat, going for a leisurely walk for thirty minutes will definitely uh, be a breeze for you. Holy cow! Yeah, I was, I was, I was just going to recommend going for a swim, <laughs> but, but you know, that's cool. Um, anyways, look, we're we're basically out of time, but we didn't even talk about your app or any of your other books. Which I mean, awesome. We talk about your app all the time on this podcast because we absolutely love that it's got the video demos and the timers, and also it's got all the different methods of working out as well. So you've got the ladders and the pyramids and all those other. Um, and it's a bargain like it's a couple of bucks in australia like it's super cheap yeah yeah recommend it to all of our practice members it's fabulous Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a great way to uh so basically all that information that i was talking about all the most of the practical applicable information that's uh that's in my book um to get you working out immediately is in that app so and, and we have progression so if you um, I give you an exercise, and then I give you exercise videos showing you how to adjust the difficulty of each of those bodyweight movements, and all the workouts um, are are guided. So I'm telling you exactly what exercises to do, when to exercise, when to stop and rest, and how many reps to do, and it'll track all your progress. So uh, it's a really handy tool to work out at home or while on the road. Yeah, no, it's really awesome. I highly recommend it. I know my partner's parents took it with them on a camping trip in the southern states, so they were in a camper van and just kind of looking at the app every day. And so, yeah, it's really awesome. So while you guys are waiting for your book to come in the mail, order the app. You'll get it immediately. <laughs> Look, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Mark. Um, we've been really looking forward to talking to you. Uh, so, everyone, until next week, check us out on Facebook, share your story, and help to grow the Paleo Tribe world. Worldwide. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.